Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. Uh, we are recording this Monday night, so we hope there's a world on Wednesday in which you hear this. But, you know, <laughs> that is still somewhat up in the air. But hopefully you're hearing this and everything is good in your local little neighborhood. We're going to talk about DC Comics. As always, we are a spoiler podcast, so if you haven't read something yet, you might want to either uh, tune out or just be like me and Zach and not care that much. <laughs> about certain books so we're gonna start with uh shade the changing girl number two. Oh, i should say i'm brian with me as always are zach and vince uh shade the changing girl number two written by cecil castellucci illustrated by marley zarconi um what'd you guys think of this issue zach what'd uh, you go first this time well my you have it in the chat as Shade TCG, so my first thought was Shade the Trading Card Game. <laughs> <laughs> because that's uh, that's where my headspace is. Okay. Um, no, I like this issue a lot. Um, this series is really good. Uh, I don't know what else there is to say about it. Like, this is really good. I, I might like this more than Doom Patrol, which is saying a lot. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um... Man, yeah, I, I'm just going to gush unless somebody else wants to take over. <laughs> well, you know, anytime you have a comic book that features um, David Bowie, uh, <laughs> essentially, like, that's who that's supposed to be, right? <laughs> What's the, the, uh, the guy on Meta? Yeah, the yeah. white-haired guy. Like, yeah. that's, that's just David Bowie, right? Yeah, I, like, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah. And he's, like, looking for the madness coat or whatever. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you know, like, you're on the right wavelength if you have that going for yourself. Um, but the other thing I like about it is how, even though it's a very, very, very weird book at times, uh-huh. it's also totally accessible. Like, um, if, I don't know how much of the original uh, Peter Milligan Shade stuff you read uh, from the Vertigo line. A fair amount. Yeah. Not, not much. Not much. Yeah. I, I felt at times like now now the that book was not about the plot like its purpose was not always to follow a plot you know um, so it could get quite experimental at times and and that was part of its charm and part of why it was good but in that same breath I would say that parts of it were impenetrable you know mm-hmm. if you weren't on that wavelength or didn't you know there are some people that just don't they won't read a comic and and have patience for stuff like that, you know. But this book has a very straightforward like through line to the plot. It's very much like a high school girl returning from a coma and all that that would entail if she also had the madness coat, you know? Like Right, right. <laughs> it's it's very grounded and yet and yet very strange too. So I I think that's they struck a really nice balance with this one. I have a kind of a weird question about this book. Do you think that just us being like comics guys who are familiar with the general concept of shade, of shade, the changing man makes this book less impenetrable? Like, like, do you think if you handed this to somebody who's never read a comic, not never read a comic, somebody who's, who has no experience with the concept of the character before it would be, 
similarly accessible because I don't I don't necessarily know if that's the case or not. Especially the first issue. I feel like there was a lot of stuff in the first issue that you know, if you took the context clues you could figure it out, but more or less it was very rooted in the the idea of the past book, if not anything that actually happened in the past book. Does that make sense? Yes. I think yeah. maybe it I has more really... to do with, like, you finish Vince. Oh. Uh, so, I was just going to say, um, I think that that's a really interesting question. And I think that from an outsider's perspective, like, um, uh, what was I going to say? Um, from an outsider's perspective, it's the type of thing where it becomes a mystery then in these first few issues. And then maybe eventually you figure out or they explain the nature of things if you hadn't read any other Shade comics before. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, you know, I kind of think I kind of think of like, I mean, I don't know that that's going to happen, but I kind of think of like Harry Potter, like, like this Fantastic Beasts movie that's coming out. If you've never read Harry Potter, they're probably going to be saying and doing all kinds of stuff that like somebody else would have uh, a concept of, but they're, they'll probably do it in such a way that they're also going to guide along people who didn't grow up with Harry Potter, you know, like, and that's, a, that's a kind of an obtuse example, but I feel like, I feel like they're doing a good job here of like, they're not leaving you in the dust. If you don't know any, anything about shade, it's, they're just sort of setting it up as a weird mystery almost. And hopefully they kind of pay that off. Um, yeah, I think that's a very fair point, Vince. And, you know, it's one of those things that I feel like people like me get hung up on, even though there's no reason to. Like, so many times when I give somebody a comic to read, I'm like, all right, before you read this, you have to know these six things. And, like, I shouldn't say that. I should give people a comic and let them take it for what it is. And if they want to find out those things later, they can. But I, I think that comics are far more accessible than we think they are sometimes. I think there's this myth that, like... I, as a comics lifer, perpetuate that people need all this preamble when I don't think that's all that necessary sometimes. Yeah, I, I agree. All right, we're all still pulling this book, right? Mm -hmm. okay. Oh, yeah. All right, cool. That brings us to the Catwoman election special number one, uh, which also has a Prez story in it, the Catwoman story was written by uh, a uh, a writer we all know and love, Meredith Finch, and uh, illustrated by Shane Davis and Igor Vit Vitorino. And, um, all right, so... Wait, I, can, can I start off with a question before we get too deep into this? Sure. I might be crazy, okay? Okay. Was the Penguin... Supposed to be noted billionaire Donald Trump. Donald J. Trump. Sure. Okay. Uh, was, was, was he supposed to be Donald Trump? Of course he was. <laughs> <laughs> this the hand is so heavy it fell through the desk. Like this is this it's is onto this... my dick. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna kill me here, Vince. Um. Yeah, this is a garbage comic. Uh, 
Well, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. Half of it was. Well, the the not prez part was a garbage yeah. comic. Yeah. I'm just talking for now about the Catwoman part. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it's garbage. It's like I, I understand that it's easy to conflate the Penguin with Donald Trump because they're both hideous creatures with tiny hands who sexually abuse women and who are worth billions of dollars. Um, I understand that. But there has to be some nuance in, in this. And this this book is so free of nuance. Even the parts that don't involve Donald J. Penguin, there there is still, a, like, you know, the the foster kids that Selena was adopted with pulling a box cutter on her. Yeah. Everything is just so fucking over the top and stupid. Um, yeah, this is a garbage comic. Zach, you missed nothing. Good. Didn't, well, that's right. Didn't Zach so. didn't read it. No. Yeah, that's... I didn't read it. Man, I wish I could have could go back to when I didn't read this. Yeah, I know. Um, I I actually read this one this week, so it was it. I just I opened it and I saw that there were a lot of Catwoman election pages and <laughs> not very many press pages. So <coughs> just yep. hit that X button. <laughs> well not, done. Not a bad decision. Yeah, and I gotta say, like, this is one hundred percent true. Before I even opened the comic, before I even read Bleeding Cool, like the minute I was told that this was a Catwoman election special, I knew that the Penguin would be a really thin, uh, thinly drawn uh, caricature of Donald Trump. Like you just knew that that was going to happen, you know? I wonder if <laughs> this, because there's also like everyone's favorite thing to do. And I, I, I'll, I'll even include myself slightly in this. Everyone is to make Citizen Kane jokes about Donald Trump, right? And like, there's so much iconography in this issue that is just straight out of Citizen Kane as well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The problem is Citizen Kane is an incredibly subtle and nuanced piece of artwork, and right. this is not. Exactly. Well. Yeah. I mean, the 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 real the thing we need to be focusing on here is that Donald Trump is not the penguin donald trump is clearly lord voldemort <laughs> yeah. oh, I, i'm pushing glasses up my nose yeah i uh between this and tom king batman we're gonna make gotham great again yeah. <laughs> Whoa! Uh, we're gonna talk about that in a few minutes guys yeah. but uh, uh so um, we also got a, a 12 page prez story here was it 12 pages? Wow. I think it was supposed to be. Was it actually one? <laughs> yeah, it was. Okay. Okay. It, um, felt, it felt so much shorter because, um, you know, Prez got – they did Prez dirty fam, basically. Yeah. <laughs> this is about as dirty as you can you can be done. Vagina stuff. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually a line in the book, Zach. I know. I, I saw I – I, I did see that. Okay. Um, I counted the pages. Yeah. <laughs> um, like I, you know, I liked Prez quite a bit. I was hoping to see it come back. To see it come back for one short story only is is a heartbreaking thing. That said, they went out in the most Prez way they could, mm-hmm. and I have to give them props for that. I, I think that's a, that's a it's a good thing that they went out being true to themselves. But it left me wanting so much more. Yeah. Has there already been a trade for the the six issues that came out of Prez? I 
think so. I believe so. I believe those all just came out like a month or two ago. That's kind of a bummer that this is just gonna like exist. Like, Until you buy yeah. your own. <laughs> you gotta buy the Catwoman. <laughs> Until you make that prez binding, Zach. <laughs> I know. That's. I mean, that's what begs to be happen. Yeah. Like that's. Oh man, that's what I hate so much about like just trade paperbacks and things like this. Is that you just you get that one thing that's not collected and will never be collected. Uh huh. Yeah, we should yeah. we should say by the way that uh, this was written by Mark Russell and illustrated by Ben Caldwell, the team behind Prez. But you already knew that, listeners. Yeah, and uh, Ben Caldwell's art is really cool. Yes, I, it I, is. I, yeah, and um, and it's interesting because uh, Mark Russell writes the Flintstones book, right? And I don't know, I don't know if either of you guys are are reading the Flintstones. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. No, but I, you said you kind of liked it, right? Yeah. I kind of like it because it's a lot like Prez. Like, they do these very topical issues, but as but like, what if, <laughs> what if Flintstones were not modern? You know, <laughs> essentially. And uh, and yeah, so like they deal with um, like LGBT wait, wait, stuff. Wait, 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 wait. It would have to be like Hillary Flinton. Yeah, and uh, yeah. Donald um... Donald J uh, tr- Trunk, like an elephant. Oh, there we go. That's a good one. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, uh... Gary Roxon. <laughs> yeah. And Jill Stone. Jill Stone. Jill Stone. There, there we go. That's a real one. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And Mike Piss. <laughs> well done, sir. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah. Anyway, this felt very much like the, on that same same wavelength where they took like a current topic and they put it into the world of Prez that they've built, and it's totally fitting. For Flintstones, it's like less fitting, obviously. <laughs> but sometimes I'm shocked by where that book goes too, you know. And I, and I don't know if it's like a great book. But I think people that liked Prez can find things to like in the Flintstones comic. So, like, I don't think it's the greatest thing in the world, but I think it's a good. I I think it's a good comic. After five issues now, I'm I'm comfortable saying Flintstones is good. Good for you. <laughs> no I'm kidding. I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I hope it is good. I just, I have no time for it. Okay. Um. Anyway, that brings us. Like... What was it? Zach? Oh, nothing. Never no, mind. go for it. No, come on. I, I was just going to say that that reminds me of when I was comfortable saying that Superman, Lois, and Clark was good. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it a very – it's a very freeing feeling to be able to say that. <laughs> what, what's a shitty comic I like? Uh, <laughs> just kidding. That um, was some good – that was good Jurgens. That, 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 that was peak Jurgens. That was the best I've been Jurgens in years. Plus, you have to remember – it was that that led to the famous photo of Jurgens in the back of the books. So, in a way, that book is responsible for our entire lives. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. Well, every every hero needs an origin star. <laughs> yeah. That right, brings us to Superman number 10, written by uh, Peter Tomasi and Patrick Gleason, illustrated by Gleason. Uh, this is the kind of the backdoor pilot for Super Sons, which launches in February. I'll look and at this, you with that Hollywood talk. 
Yeah, and this was a uh, this was a glorious comic book. This is the this is the best rebirth book, right? A, a single I issue. I, and I didn't put it as my number one the last time we ranked it, but no, just Superman, just okay. Superman in general. I Probably. think this is the best one. Yeah, yeah. I this think book so. is so yeah. good. It, there was nothing it's, about it's this really issue I didn't good. like. No, the way you know, you know what was perfect. What was really perfect was the way that uh, they handled Superman versus Batman as adults. You know, like we all saw the movie um, this last summer, and though, like watching those two fight, it was not like two adults fighting. Um, and in reality, like the 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 fight between John and Damien, that that is how a Superman versus Batman when they're young fight should go. And when they're adults, they should act like adults, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> hot take. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 I agree completely. Oh, I that think... was my hot take. Yeah. You, you're calling mine a hot take. Yes, yes. No, but I, I agree completely. I, I think there was... Uh... Yeah, I wrote a micro review of this for uh, for Multiversity, and what I said was I felt like in this issue you get the perfect encapsulation of not only the relationship between John and Damien, and the relationship between Bruce and Clark, but also the the difference between how the fathers and sons interact. Like you can just if if you look at John. When Clark arrives, you can almost like Gleason illustrates him in a way where he relaxes a little bit once Superman's there. Like he looks, he looks more comfortable. And Damien does the exact opposite. When <laughs> when Bruce is there, he kind of tenses up a little bit, and you know he's he's walking around with his arms crossed and stuff. It's just this perfect like that's such a small detail, but that's such a perfect encapsulation of their relationships. And just everything about this book is spot on. Yep, man. Yeah, it's so good. You know, you get the the continuation from like carryover of characters from Robin, son of Batman, which is nice. Um, yeah, with nobody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And man, just everything like this team. I they just get they get Damien so well. Um, they get the Superman Batman relationship really well. All of the father son dynamics. Oh man. Yep. Yeah. Gleason's like character work and just how expressive and dynamic everything is. So good. So good. He's he's the best. He he's one of the best in the biz, you guys. He is. He's the um, best at what he does. <laughs> and what he does is very nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I have to say, uh, I I wasn't expecting to get like we're starting to see. I think what the Super Sons book is going to look like, and it's it looks like it might include nobody as a like a, a cast member. Yeah. Too. Like it, it sounds like she's going to be hanging around, and I think that's cool too because like like all of a sudden she's become a really cool character. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's almost like the kind of like beginnings of a, you know, almost pre-teen like Young Titans? Justice style. Yeah, yeah, yeah like a pre t- Yeah, exactly. Um, oh, yeah. What if we got another youth book out of this, like, team book? Yeah. I, I would think it'd be more likely that John would join Teen Titans since Damien's on that team. Yeah. But I do want to say also Gleason does my single favorite Superman thing in this issue, which is he draws Superman totally in shadow except for the emblem on his chest. Uh-huh. I love when people do that. Mignola does that a lot in Cosmic Odyssey, uh-huh. and it's such a great effect. He does it with uh, Gleason does it with Batman here too, and uh-huh. it's, it's such a good look. It's on that last page of the issue. Uh-huh. Yep, that's a great page. Um, um, I love the way I love the way that uh, Clark says something like, um, "You know, how could I miss your smile?" When he's talking to uh, nobody in that one panel, uh-huh. you know, and it's like that's such a. And she's like, "Oh, gee, thanks, Superman." It's just such <laughs> like a, it's such a warm Superman moment, you know, like. For him to just say a really nice thing out of the blue to a kid to like make them feel comfortable or whatever. Ah, they're saving Superman, you guys. They are saving Superman. Um, so I have a question leading into our next title, guys. <laughs> when did Batman become Inigo Montoya from The Princess oh, Bride? Boy, <laughs> uh, if I. Oh man. That's clearly what King is going for here, right? I mean uh, clearly is a I don't know if you can say anything about this is <laughs> the intentions are clear. I don't I, know. I feel like that was a placeholder line that he was like I'll come up with something better for each of these 5 times he's going to say it and then he just never did. So in case you haven't figured it out, listeners, talking about Batman number 10, written by Tom King, illustrated by Michael Janine. And, uh, yeah, this, this is, this is not a good comic, guys. He sounds like a psycho. Yeah, this is Batman removed from all humanity. Like a psycho pirate, maybe. Oh, Oh, man. Tom King is going to insert himself as the writer of this comic, only he's going to have been psycho pirate the entire time. I, I would actually like that a lot. Me too. That's the only way to save it, if you ask me. It's the only way to save it. What if Tom King replaced Batman and we didn't know it? <laughs> he is Batman. Oh, man. And Bruce Wayne is the psycho pirate. All right, so let me ask you guys a couple of questions here, okay? First of all, it's a shame that this art is wasted on this garbage comic. Oh, man, it looks so good. I know. It looks so good. So... We know that this is a Bane-centric story, right? Did anyone else think that Bane was doing the voiceover narration throughout the book, only to realize halfway through it's Selina? Yeah, I thought that. I did think Bane had lovely handwriting, (laughs) because it's written in a a very nice font. But, like, there's no reason to believe that this will be Selina talking. And there's no huge reveal at the end that you need to have Selina... narrating this whole comic for like i don't understand why that choice was made i mean i kind of i kind of see it because i i think you are supposed to think it's bane 
um, and that you're getting this, you know, insight into his like childhood or whatever. But then the twist is that it's it's Catwoman and it's kind of, you know, speaking to their relationship or whatever and something, something. <laughs> I, I get I get why he did it. And I, 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 I guess I can't necessarily say that I liked it, but I I don't know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say that I didn't hate it. Okay, now... Vince, you're a little bit quiet on that, so I'm going to direct my next question to you. Okay, all right. <laughs> are, are, are we to believe <laughs> that Batman unbroke his back? I, like, I don't. I don't think his back was broken. I think it was. So, <laughs> I, I think it was out of alignment because Tom King made it made it so that Bane made a very clumsy point of being sure to say. Uh, I'm I without the venom I don't have the ability to do what I did to you last time or whatever you know right right so I don't he didn't break Bruce's back he like dislocated his spinal column or something he, he right. had a subluxation and yeah. he applied self chiropractic look at look at Mister Pharmacist here it's with chiro- his... I don't know what the active chiro Turn that into a verb. Pseudoscience. There we go. But but regardless, regardless, Brian, that was dumb as hell. Yeah. Like you're not going to get any argument from me that that justifies that dumb as hell. Go ahead. It kind of reminded me of a of a Guillaume March Catwoman pose. <laughs> Man, well done. You guys are killing me with this cough tonight. Zach, you're on fire. Doesn't From it downtown. Like... Mm. Uh, th- that arch in his back. Yeah. All we're missing is some moose knuckle. <laughs> That's two weeks in a row I used that. That term. is, and it's two weeks in a row of me saying I could never hear that phrase again and be happy. Um, <laughs> Yeah, this is just guys. What the hell is going on with this comic? Well, we'll find out in by issue twenty three. Yeah, that is true. I, I don't know, you guys. It's um, uh, it's really, it's really bad. It's really bad. Did you catch the watcher watchman reference though? The, the giant clock. <laughs> oh, was there a giant clock? I was making it there. There, uh, there was no watchman reference oh, that okay. I know of. Was there a clock? <laughs> Oh, I get it. There's always a clock. The clock might have been in Nightwing, now that I think about uh, it. There was a clock in S- Superman, I think. Oh, Superman, okay. There's a lot of there's a lot of giant clocks with Roman numerals on them. And, yeah. uh, um, <laughs> By the way, was it ever established why Bane is naked when this is happening? Well, he's got to I mean... <laughs> Uh, he's primal, you know. I guess so. This is such a garbage comic. I just, you know what? I something is going to happen in issue twenty-three or whatever, whatever it was, and it's going to be like the leap to Watchmen, and everybody online is going to freak out and talk about how like genius it was. <laughs> 
And we're going to call such bullshit on this entire ordeal. What if I, it I, is genius, though? No, maybe it will be. <laughs> like, honestly, to me, the only thing that could happen in this comic that would make me go like, oh, huh, is if it's somehow not really Bruce. It's because... Deathstroke. <laughs> <laughs> Batman 5 Superman, guys. <laughs> Uh, but like really like like to me especially we're gonna get to nightwing in a second like seeing how everyone else writes bruce makes me think that just tom king doesn't understand the character at all i mean he's definitely trying to write a hard-boiled take on this character like the the only batman that this reminds me of is frank miller's Yeah, I can't. I can't argue that. Um, I mean, the I guess the one bit of good news here is that we there was news that broke today about a series that didn't happen that sounds even dumber than this series. Oh, I didn't see that. You didn't see that the news the newsarama piece about Scott Lobdell's quote rockabilly Batman series. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh well, well, we don't have to talk anymore about that. No. Or about this Counter garbage blessings. comic. Yeah, or about this garbage comic. So let's move on. Um, to a not, good comic. To a great comic. Nightwing oh, number God. eight. Guys, so good. Yeah, they really... Um, oh, I mean, what more, we can't say much more about like what Tim Seeley does and what, what Javi Fernandez does with the art. That we haven't said already, you know, um, but the way that like the way that they that he developed Raptor to be, I mean, it is not that original of a concept, right? No, this is every other comic book character has has had has this character, right? But it's every, so well done, yeah. like it's so. Like he's engage his dialogue is engaging and his state like you buy the stakes of what he's dealing with. Um, he loves brands, like like he loves interacting with brands. Mm -hmm. So so you know there's that. Um, it's just a really it's a really a lot of time this character happens all the time, but it's half baked so often. You yes. know, I feel like this is a fully formed character even if it's not original. You know. Agreed. Um, and then just the moment with with Dick and Bruce at the end. I I I almost teared up. I'm not even joking. Oh jeez. Because like, here's why. Okay. Big the, softy here. I have a big softy. You know that about me. Come on, I cry at everything. I but, do. Yeah. But you know the um, to me the relationship between Dick and Bruce is so often written as like this. That there's this undercurrent of them being adversaries for some reason. And, like, yes, they disagree about things, but this was just such a tender moment between the two of them, and it, it it elevates Dick to adulthood in a way that even 20 years as Nightwing didn't do for him pre-New 52, right? Like, Bruce is, Bruce essentially says here that, like, that he, I mean, can you, can you imagine Bruce saying this to any other character in the DC Universe? No. Like, he trusts Dick above everybody else. That, that's a huge character beat. 
and it's uh it's just it's great oh it's so so touching so great zach what do you think of this issue oh i thought it was really good um i was a little sad to see raptor kind of like go out the way he did just because i really liked um i really liked this the character and like the first arc and how he you know was kind of this you know very gray character hard to pin down and you know here he was just kind of you know the the played straight for the villain um and i i hope we see more of him later maybe mm-hmm. i could see that. um but but yeah the bruce and dick dynamics were fantastic and yeah this is just this is a really good book all right let's quickly get through the other books um let's talk about we're gonna start with harley quinn did any of us read this yeah i did <laughs> you're you are a masochist my friend mm-hmm. uh, how was yeah. it uh well there were no poop jokes that i can remember this time around um, i mean to be fair the title of the issue is undercover punker and that sounds like a poop joke so <laughs> yeah i guess um you know they, she was supposed to be going to like a fetish club or whatever and and she did but it was a lot less i don't know this book pushes the boundaries a lot and i felt like they didn't push as hard as they could have here um and it was just kind of lame. I don't know. You guys don't read this, so who cares? We're like, <laughs> let's just move on. It was, it, it was, it, it wasn't a great issue, even by Harley Quinn standards. You know, okay. Right? Uh, Aquaman number ten. We get a Mira centric issue. Um, this uh, this issue I think had sort of illustrates the best and the worst about Aquaman in one issue. There was some really good stuff in here. I found the beginning stuff with the prophecy to be incredibly circular in its dialogue. They say the same thing six or seven times, and it was a little bit challenging to get through. But once you got past that, that the issue really was very satisfying and good. It is a, a rare Brad Walker issue. Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. That was He did Just, some really, yeah. really good character work. And it's also nice... To like have a Mara centric issue, and it's nice that the cover is the same exact thing as the Aquaman Rebirth issue, mm-hmm. but just with Mira in there instead. Oh yeah, I liked uh, this issue. Um, yeah, I, I liked it too. I had a comment. I can't remember what it was though. Well, uh, yeah, I don't know. I lost it. I like. I, I thought this was a good issue though. All right, that brings us to Justice League number eight. Um, Neil Edwards is the artist on this issue. Uh, Brian Hitch is still writing it. Uh, I, I understand what this issue was going for, but it was very over the top. <laughs> Agree, disagree? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I guess... I guess, like... Over the top is probably the best, best, you know, ever, everything that happens in this comic feels like it should be affecting other books. And I'm not like one to get hung up on that, but like <laughs> when the watchtower to... falls out of the sky and the bat cave is destroyed, that should touch other things. Yes. Exa- yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It's like, with like, uh, yeah, this feels, 
like there there would be other events that would be entirely built around the watchtower being destroyed, you know. Yeah. I think I think it should I think it should end with the Hall of Justice being like brought back to prominence. Yeah, I'm I'm all for that. I could dig that. Um what I think but is yeah, yeah, this is like the chat up that yeah. yeah. Um, what I would say about this issue is that I, I understand that if you're not giving the Justice League such big tasks that all of them need to collaborate on, then why have a Justice League, right? I understand that. So you have to go bigger than you do in, in the individual books. But to me, this is just... It just felt like it was trying to do the biggest things possible without really a reason for doing them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like big big events with very low stakes. Yes. Yeah. Um well that's Justice League. Uh Green Arrow number 10, we get uh, Juan Ferreira back on the issue here. Um I I've come to to a, a very succinct decision about Green Arrow. I like this book. I don't think I will ever love this book. Yeah. Yeah. I uh I was pretty apathetic while reading this one. I oftentimes find I am as well, then I get to the end of it, I'm like, oh, that was okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There's like there's like one or two or three moments every issue that I, I genuinely think like that was a great green arrow moment or like that was a great uh Dinah Lance moment you know like mm-hmm. like that like the way that Juan Ferreira drew that the canary call where she broke everybody's champagne glass uh-huh. that was a really cool page like we've seen we've seen a thousand canary cries by now you know but yeah. that was an especially well done one I think you know and um I thought the way that they kind of slipped into this party, you know, sort of undetected for a while was kind of fun in a sort of mm, silly, like spy movie type yeah, way, yeah. you know, um, but, but nothing that'll knock anyone's socks off, you know, like it was just, just a solid issue that you can't have too many complaints about. And and once or twice, there's a, a, a moment that makes you go, Oh, that was pretty cool. You know, but, but yeah, it's yeah. I'm never. I I don't think I'm gonna love this book. Yeah, um, I, I feel like I'm always I'm, like I'm impressed by the art. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Zach. Yeah. Oh, I feel like I'm always impressed by the art. Um. Uh, like I really like. I feel like both Ferreira and um, Otto Schmidt do like a lot of cool two-page layouts, which are really. <laughs> Um, but just without like, like a lot of um, text, so it feels just really cinematic. But I just don't really care uh, um, very much about Oliver or Diggle or a lot of the characters. I feel like the one I'm the most attached to is is um, Black Canary at this point. Yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. All right, that brings us to Green Lanterns uh, number ten. I didn't read this issue, guys. 
You didn't. <laughs> you didn't miss much. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've given up on this book. Hmm. Except for a nice um, Indigo Lantern bit of, like, trivia. Yeah. Which I feel like anyone who has, like, not read the Jeff Johns run, like, we'll get to that part. There's a part where, like... Um, I was going to say, lay it on me. Yeah, like, Simon puts on the, the Phantom Ring and, like, goes through the whole spectrum. And he, it, like, the scene is, like, seven panels of different colors, and each one he's, like, saying, like, one word of a sentence. And when he gets to the indigo part, he says neck, because, you know, they had that, like, weird... Yep. That weird language. Um... Which I feel like 90% of them, I mean, that's an exaggeration, but at least like a third of the readers will we'll get to that and be like, what is that supposed to be? Right. Yeah. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, I, yeah, I, I kind of nodded in recognition at that. <laughs> oh. yeah. Can I, can I uh, have a hot take here? Sure. Take it hot. I kind of liked this issue. <laughs> no. Am I going to have to go back and read this issue, Vince? No. <laughs> well, uh, no, I, I don't, uh, no, I don't think so. I, but, but like, I was reading it and I was like, okay, we got, we got more of that like goofy little guardian that like cracks wise all the time, and like, it was really like I'm, I'm starting to enjoy having Simon and Jessica on Earth. And having them deal exclusively with Earth problems. And I feel like I've wanted that out of a Green Lantern book for the longest time. Because Jeff John's stuff was always very, like, space opera, you yeah. know? And now I'm, like, relieved to have Lanterns on Earth for a while. And while I'm, while I'm still, like, pretty annoyed at their voices and the way that Humphreys writes them as characters... The, the, the vibe of this issue and the setting... And the stakes and everything were, were, for some reason, I was like, this is different from other Lantern books that I've read recently, and I'm glad for that. And so, it may not be good, but, like, I was, pr I've been pretty happy reading this book, with the exception of the dumb origin of Frank Leminski, <laughs> um, uh, since the Halloween issues, can I can I make an observation here about the Indigo Park? Because I'm, I'm flipping through the book right now. Didn't knock they didn't the, they say knock, not neck? I think they had like a lot of different words. I thought neck was one of them, but I knock was knock was like the knock was the big one. Uh -huh. knock, knock was their call, but I'm pretty sure they there was neck too. Like I think, oh, okay. and like lore, like it was a bunch of very like short yeah. words. They all sounded like background characters from Lothar of the Hill People. Boy. <laughs> it's a deep SNL poll for you folks out there. Lothar of the Hill People. All right, I'm that's... just glad I have another lantern oath to, to chant quietly as I go to sleep at night. <laughs> yep, that's right. Man, who can, who can keep up with all these? Yeah. Uh, that brings us to my second Wilkerson book of the week. Cyborg didn't read this either. Uh, me either. Um, okay, I guess, I guess I'm the only one here that's earning their pay. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, this this is a this is a really disappointing comic to me. Um, I, I say it every time we come across it, but I really liked 
that first issue and everything since then has been such a letdown, such a, such a rote exercise in, in, um, writing serial comics, you know, and Mm -hmm. like serialized comics and, um, just, oh, um, just, just like, like, like one-off plots, monster of the day type stuff. Terrible puns. Yeah, bad puns, and, like, I was promised the singularity, which I'm, like, a huge singularity nerd, and I I was told that that's what this book was going to deal with, and except for the fact that he has, like, the entirety of Apple Music in his head, there's not much that's singularity about this. Like, they're not actually exploring that concept as a science fiction, and I thought they would be, so, like... I'm ready to start. We'll, uh, <laughs> we're gonna, we're, we're gonna refer to instead of pulping. We're gonna, we're gonna say Wilkersoning. Yeah, exactly. Nope. Well, that, that means that means you're just ignoring it. That's just it. where you like quietly. You see, yeah, just yeah. stop reading and pretend oh. it doesn't exist. Okay. All right. Yeah, I guess that is a distinction from pulping. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And here's the thing: you guys might have convinced me to go back and reread Green Lanterns because there was at least some discussion of it not being you know, a total waste of paper. So I, I'll I'll think about that. But, you know, with Cyborg, like, I, I... So this week has been... I've been very, very busy with work, and there's, my family's been sick and all this, so I had limited time to read these books, and I picked up Cyborg, and I opened it up. I didn't even read one panel. I just said, nothing in this book is going to make me feel anything, one way or the other, so why waste my time? It's just there. Uh-huh. Am I wrong? No, no, you're right. You're I, right. I don't know. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Yeah. All right, that brings us to Death of Hawkman number two. Um, guys, I'm enjoying this way more than I thought I would. Whoa. You're not, Zach. I don't. I don't really like it. Did you Wilkerson like this already? It. No, I read it. Oh, okay. I might Wilkerson it after this. I don't know. It's only six <laughs> issues. Maybe I can make it all the way through. I don't know. I just feel like it's like pretty heavy-handed um, with like the you know two feuding races. Everyone is really xenophobic. You have the one character who's like the voice of reason and mystery something sci-fi something something also hawkman likes it better wet than dry (laughs) so say that again you kind of got swallowed up by skype oh sorry hawkman likes it better wet than dry you say that one more time zach (laughs) no i'm not gonna say i'm just just messing with you yeah um i did love the expression that adam strange makes when he sees hawkman's dick (laughs) yeah. <laughs> That's because it has a beak on it. <laughs> uh, He's got a barb. I, mean, I, wonder, <laughs> I wonder if that uh, that bird's been clipped. The wings have been clipped on that bird. Um, oh, it's a, cir- a circumcision <laughs> joke, folks. You get it here. You, um, you can't see it, but I'm adjusting my tie. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. No, when that I was hawk has been unhooded. 
Vince, why did we even try anymore? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Zach's, Zach, Zach's the best. Zach's the, the assassin here. He is. He is. <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Zach, I, I don't disagree with necessarily anything you said about the book. To me, it's just I expected so little out of this book. And, it, mm-hmm. you know, we don't get to see the characters playing around that often. So the fact that we're getting six issues of time with Adam Strange and um, and Hawkman, I like. I think the book's a little bit funnier than I thought it was going to be. There is a little bit more humor in there. Um, and according to Mark Andreco, this is the start of a bigger Hawkman story. Oh, nice. So I am really on board with that. Yeah. Can I tell you what I like about it? Sure. It screams like... It, to me, it just screams pre-Flashpoint. Like, it's just the, it's the type of book with the type of characters told in their classic fashion that you would have seen pre-Flashpoint. There's no messing around trying to update anything. It's just a really nicely done... Like, I agree with Zach. Like, it's... Okay, yeah, it's the, it's the Rand Thanagar stuff that we've seen for the longest time, you know, but, like... They're not messing with the I mean, it is kind of in, just like that. Way. It's kind of just like that, like, pre-New 52 stuff that... Wasn't it... Was it Jim Starlin who did a lot of, like, weird kind of, like, cosmic stuff that no one paid attention to? Mm-hmm. It sounds spinning right. out of that uh, Spinning out of the Rand Thanagar War stuff around Infinite Crisis. Yeah. All yep. of the, like, Captain, Captain Comet... Yeah. It kind of reminds me of that. It's it's like this this cosmic series with cool characters but not like not like really big or generic's not the word I'm wanting to use but just like not very noteworthy. I know I what you mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's not... very low-key, you know, B-tier cosmic book. Yes, I, I totally and, agree with that. Not that that makes it bad. Um, no. And in that way, I mean, it kind of does, like, really channel that, like, you know, um, like, John Carter-style like B movie sci-fi. Yeah. Which is cool. Yeah. I'm glad it exists. Let's put it that way. Needs more Lobo. That's for sure. Everything needs more Lobo. Um, Vince, I'm taking all my energy to not yell, bring back Sheriff Lobo right now in a, uh, Simpsons reference. <laughs> Are you, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right, uh, last but not least, Apollo Midnighter, number two. Um, this is exactly what I wanted from this book. Yeah, yeah this, this book is a good. damn fine comic. Um, from, like, the opening... The, okay, that's this is two issues of Midnighter and Apollo that have, like, outrageously good opening sequences. The, the the first issue had the train sequence, the train pirates or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, this one has him like 
like punching his way through seven miles of the Earth's crust to yep. <laughs> to like make his way to the top, and just like yelling "door" every chance he gets, hoping that oh, hoping that one of his doors will open up for him, you know. And uh, I, like I think I think Blanco, the artist, and um, and Orlando both like the sense of urgency is really palpable. Absolutely. And like the de- like the desperate like. Like that is how you know that there's like love between Midnighter and Apollo because like you you never see Midnighter act like the, this, this desperate you know right and when he finally gets there like you just it's just man it's just so well paced and like the the payoff is incredible when he finally gets there and and he's essentially too late it ah oh, so good. Yeah, I had nothing to add. It's, um... We shouldn't be surprised how good a Steve Orlando comic is anymore. <laughs> um, Zach, anything to add? No, I really like that the, um... Like, the, the supernatural angle. Um, because I feel like... I mean, they kind of play into it a little bit, like... It, it's a cool um, kind of like not, I guess like it, it's a cool use of a, of giving, of giving midnight or a weakness, you know? Yeah. Because it talks about like, this is, this is outside of, you know, your computer. This isn't something that you, you know, can just like calculate and, and overcome. Yeah. Yeah. That was really, that was really great. And then he just, stabs him in the chest or yep. whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um and I think if I think if Fixtrano is gonna be the Doctor Strange of the DC universe right now, <laughs> like I'm I'm all for that. Yeah, I have no complaints about that. Uh you know, the one bummer about these two miniseries that we ended on here is I think that even though you know we had mixed reviews on Death of Hawkman I think we can all agree that these are infinitely more interesting than some of the other books that DC is publishing right now. And I kind of wish that these stories were given the chance to be ongoings. Um, that said, I'm glad that DC is letting these stories exist in any capacity they can, let alone uh, you know, miniseries that seem to be actually relatively well supported by the company. You know, DC really isn't isn't flooding the market. They're trying to make these miniseries matter, but I couldn't help but think, you know, there's a limited amount of reach that these books are going to have because people just don't buy minis the way they used to. Yeah, but maybe, maybe I mean, like you said, with um, like with Death of Hawkman, if this is the beginning of something new, maybe, um, you know, by not having it in a, in a ongoing, they can do a mini and then take a few months off and then come back with another Mm-hmm. make it a little bit more um i guess like financially viable i i wonder if the numbers bear that out i i am nowhere near this the student of the numbers i should be but i wonder if it makes more sense to have a mini a series of mini series versus a an ongoing that only lasts you know eight or ten issues whatever the case may be my my sense of it, and and again, like I don't, 
I'm not a comic book economics guy. Like, I've never, <laughs> you know, leave it to somebody who, like, runs a, an LCS or something uh-huh. to, for the real answer. But, like, if you're asking me, if you've got a book that you don't think is going to sell well, and the general rule is that number one issues are always your best-selling issue of anything, you know? <coughs> like, let, let's take Death of Hawkman. So Death of Hawkman gets to six issues, it sells whatever it sells. If word of mouth is good and sales were good enough to warrant another one, then like more people might pick up the trade. If they heard good things, more people might feel more comfortable jumping on on a new number one in a new mini series that they can they can say, okay, this is a this is a new start of an arc. Uh, it's not issue seven now, you know, like Mm -hmm. if they see issue seven, they might think I'm not going to bother because, um, you know, I, I heard good things, but it's already too late, you know? And I know that that's, that's kind of a silly, when you've got the trade right there to rely on or like just six issues to pick up, that sounds really silly, but I do feel that in like a flooded market between DC and Marvel and everyone else, that is a non-starter for some people. And see, my my thought, and again, I don't have real data to back, to back this up, I feel like no matter what the ongoing, or no matter what the mini, unless it's a Batman mini, the ongoing number one and numbers two through six always sell better than the miniseries. Yeah. Uh, Zach, you're kind of, of the three of us, I think you watch the numbers the most closely. What do you think about this? I think I would say ongoings probably do a little bit better um, just because I think there's like a perceptional thing, unless it's like an event mini, right? obviously. Well, and also I really do think it like all comes down to marketing too. Um, And I think that it kind of like, goes hand in hand the miniseries don't get quite the marketing so it's hard to see you know there's too many variables i think to like really say one way or the other like what causes what Mm -hmm. um and i mean also you know it's like a really like thinly veiled line between like what's the difference between a a miniseries and an ongoing that lasts you know eight to twelve issues and then relaunches like what what's the difference yeah. Other than one, you know, at the outset, you the 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 term that it's branded with is different. I mean, I would even argue, and again, this is not me being a partisan hack here. Like, what's the difference between a miniseries and a Marvel ongoing? Yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah, like an ongoing that you know is probably going to last like twelve issues. Spider Gwen had two different number ones in 2016. Yeah. That's an, that's absurd. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, any uh, closing thoughts on uh, DC books this week, guys? Uh, Rebirth is still good. I'm losing steam a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I think it's becoming very clear which is the A week and which is the B week. Like this week has Superman and Nightwing, which is awesome. But nothing else, This and Aquaman, I'll put Aquaman in there as well. Nothing else excites me as much as the other stuff. Like next week we'll have Detective, 
we'll have um, the slightly better of the two Lantern books. Um, Not if you're asking Vince. <laughs> that, that is true. That is yeah. true. Yeah, I don't feel too too strongly enough about that point to defend it. So <laughs> just, let, just let it slide. Yeah, we have uh, Flash and Wonder Woman. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just think that like you know this this week feels more like a slog because you have to get through. Well, Vince had to get through the cyborgs of the world and the Green Lanterns and that you know and uh, you know it's, it's just it's a um, look. I, I think if you had asked any of us back in April when this is announced. If we described exactly how we feel right now, we'd be over the moon that that rebirth was this good. Yeah, I mean the fact that I've even made it this far and still read the majority of the books, you know, mm-hmm. happily. Although I have, I was thinking today, like at this point, I would like to make a list of like what books I would be reading if I, you know, if I wasn't reading all of them. If we weren't doing this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Just to see what that looks like. We we got a minute now. What would we all be reading if we didn't have to read it all? I need to see. Let's see. Definitely Superman, Nightwing, Detective, Flash... Superwoman, probably Wonder Woman, All-Star Batman, I think those are my only, oh, Deathstroke, I think those are my only. But with with Deathstroke, with Deathstroke, would you be. Would you have got? Would you have even given it the shot, the fair shot? Well, I guess I mean, like at this point, if I were to stop and like only read the things I wanted, okay, the, those would be the ones. I think. Okay. Vince, what does your list look like? Uh, Detective, Batgirl, Nightwing, um, All Star Batman, um, Superman, Wonder Woman. I'd, I'd, I'd be reading New Superman. Superwoman, um, The Flash, Aquaman, Teen Teen Titans. I I would still. I'd give that a little bit more time. Deathstroke. Uh, definitely Blue Beetle. No, um. <laughs> No, that would probably be it right there. Yeah, I think for me, if we're kind of breaking this down versus like, you know, the week to week versus the monthlies, from this week, I would read, and we're not counting Young Animal. We're all reading Young Animal. Uh, yeah, Superman, and those miniseries, you know. Yeah. Uh, Superman, Nightwing, and Aquaman from this week. Uh, Flash, Detective, and Wonder Woman, and Deathstroke from next week. And then Superwoman, I'd probably still give Trinity a third issue. Um, maybe Batgirl, Supergirl, I would continue to read. And that's probably it. Yeah. So we we have a lot of overlap, and then a few. Yeah. A few 
unique ones here and there. I, and, let's, and let's be fair, I'd probably still be reading Titans, but that just makes me a schmuck. <laughs> oh. It, it, it says a lot that I didn't throw a Green Lantern book in there. Yeah, it will. I think for the three of us that I have a Lantern book says everything. Yeah. Well, guys, that does it for the show tonight. Thank you all for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. I'm at VJ underscore O-S-T-R-O-W-S-K-I. Hashtag stay woke. Go vote, although you will hopefully will have already voted by the time you hear this. Because yes. if not, well, you missed your chance. Sorry. I was Try told it was November years. 28th. <laughs> well, some people will have a chance still. Yeah. The um, Supreme Court justices, am I right, guys? <laughs> am I right? Oh, boy. Uh, and I'm at SirFox89. Uh, talk to me about Dragon Ball and the Dark Tower. Okay, oh, yeah, baby. All right, guys. Have a good week. We'll see you next week. Bye.